0: Welcome to Army of Crime, your favorite crossover podcast between the world of comics and movies. I am your co-host, Matt, and I'm here with my co-host, Dustin. Dustin, say hello to the... He's thinking about it. He's going to. He's got something real real nice planned for you when he speaks up. This episode, we are looking at the Cecil B. DeMille epic, Unconquered, and the comic book nat turner made by professor kyle baker both of which are works of historical fiction and well there's a lot going on in both of them for both good and ill i don't know which is what angle you want to tackle this from
1: it, it would be hard to have two works of historical fiction have such diametrically opposing viewpoints in my opinion
0: Yes, and have diametrically opposed levels of quality, I would also add.
1: Yeah, that's we can talk true. about
0: yeah, we could talk about unconquered first, I suppose. Okay. Unconquered is a Cecil B deMille epic from nineteen forty seven starring Gary Cooper that ostensibly is sort of about the Pontiac's war.
1: I guess. But what it's really about is the unconquered spirit of the American frontiersman to tame the West.
0: Yeah, it's a Western, it's like a Western epic, I guess. And I was hoping at least for some good kind of battle scenes or something. It really, does, For all its supposed epicness, it really doesn't feel that epic. There's a lot of scenes of like people sitting around talking in rooms. There's like a courtroom scene. There's like one battle scene towards the end, that isn't even that impressive.
1: Yeah, it's... And the story is basically... I mean, there's a, a an indentured servant played by Paulette Goddard, and then you have Gary Cooper as, like, the rugged frontiersman, and their paths cross, and Gary Cooper is trying to prevent a, an Indian war, so to speak, between the settlers and the uh, Indian nations west of the Allegheny. So, basically... and I should maybe even put the audio of it in here, but this film opens with some voiceover narration from Cecil B. DeMille.
2: At the forks of the Ohio stands an American city, a colossus of steel whose mills and furnaces bring forth bone and sinew for a nation. Not so long ago, a lonely outpost guarded this very spot. It was called Fort Pitt. It stood at the edge of an unknown land, one of a line of forts that ran from Virginia to the Great Lakes, marking the end of the known and the beginning of the unknown. Civilization was east of the Allegheny Mountains. Conquest, opportunity and death lay to the west. All around Fort Pitt, was a vast forest, always beautiful, always dangerous. Men came into it seeking many things, some for wealth, some for refuge, some for freedom. But to the Indian, all men came as invaders. Wars for survival between red men and white threatened to sweep away these little forts. Yet, men kept coming West, some to build their own fortunes, even at the price of Indian wars, others to build a nation, even at the price of their own lives. These are the unconquered who push ever forward the frontiers of man's freedom.
1: It's really uh, quite, uh, it's, it's when people talk about movies like Westerns and other old Hollywood films that portray the indians as mindless savages that need to all be wiped out in the case of mass genocide this is kind of exactly the movie movie that they're talking about yeah this so i really
0: didn't know anything about this going into it uh and i'm gonna blame you because you picked this for us to watch it's super duper racist in an unreconstructed 1940s racism way As you mentioned, the whole thing is about the the unconquered. In the title, refers to the the spirit of the American frontiersman, who is like slowly moving out west or whatever. I mean, we could talk about. There's a couple main racisms. There's two big. There's two big racisms that we could talk about. Uh, There's also the fact that it historically makes no sense whatsoever. Even as like historical fiction, it's like total gibberish. Um, And there's a minor racism tied in with that. There's a lot. There's a lot to uh, to unpack just to like. Even just if we just view it as like a cultural artifact or something from the 1940s, there's it okay. So, number one thing, yes, it's super racist towards Native Americans. The word savage is used unironically on numerous occasions. And in fact, um, Gaya Suta is played, who's sort of the antagonist, is played by Boris Karloff. Yeah, so, that's, so we're not off to a great start. There's a lot in, of in the beginning.
1: As you would expect, there's a lot of uh, white actors in makeup playing uh, Native American characters with Boris Karloff being the evil Indian chief. Yeah. And very clearly, this is meant to show us, you know, these
0: heroic white settler characters fighting Native people in a variety of ways. And the, there's a lot of hay made about these forts that surrender and then they get massacred or what have you. Uh, during this during this conflict, and we could talk about that. I'm going to talk about that. I also want to talk about of like how this movie's even set up because ostensibly Guy Suta is meant to be the antagonist or something, but there's also a white character named Garth who's also sort of the antagonist as well. So it's almost like we're telling the story of a Pontiac's War, which is what his history books kind of call this conflict. But we're also pinning it on a white like merchant who's like manipulating the people from all sides for his own benefit. He even makes a mention at some point that he owns all the land west of the mountain or something, and he's going to be king of it. So there's a, it's like, first of all, the portrayal of native Americans is terrible. Second of all, they're also portrayed as not even fighting back against colonization or against their mistreatment at the hands of the British for that's own sake. It's like, they're only fighting out because this other person Garth is like this crooked merchant is manipulating them, and there's an emphasis put on all of the awful things that they do. They specifically mention like the threat of sexual violence against uh Paulette Goddard's character, yeah, from from native people, is mentioned several times, and that falls into the category of something you know, the uh, warfare in this period could, of course, be very brutal, so it's not like that's not true, but we're, of course, ignoring all of the warfare directed at you know the native americans so it's like we'll only bring up the bad things from one side and not the other side and then it makes one side look perfect and the other side look demonic
1: right yeah yeah there's a really hilariously uh horrible like plot point going on here where the uh indian tribes basically trick the honorable white man by telling them that if they surrender their forts they'll all go free because the indians just want access to their old ancestral hunting grounds and then of course the indians are lying and the honorable trusting white men are all massacred so it's like taking the actual reality of like the white settlers like constantly lying to the indians about what they want and then like killing them all and like reversing it so that in this version of history Uh, The Indians are dishonorable and lying and bloodthirsty, and the white men are just like, you know, honest, upstanding citizens.
0: Yeah, and the native people are not even smart enough to organize and fight a war on their own behalf. They're all also, while while all that is also true, they're also just dupes, because the whole thing is just being manipulated by a white merchant.
1: Who is, in essence, in this movie, a race traitor, because he's betraying his own white race to help the Indians.
0: Well, but he's not even helping them too because it mentions something about how he owns all this land, supposedly west of this line. So he wants them to abandon settlers. I think the word he mentioned, he uses the word king or something like at one point. So I think on some level, yes, he is siding with them. On some other level, he's trying to set himself up as some kind of like tyrant over some kind of Western lands. It's not real abundantly clear what his end game is here.
1: Well, he's in essence trying to check. That in unconquerable American spirit of exploration to settle the West, but little does he know that the American frontier spirit is unconquered.
0: The title of the movie Unconquered should really refer to like the Native Americans, it, it, like unironically that would make more sense as a title. No, this is just a straight up like unreconstructed white supremacist view of history, like without even any like caveats. Um, the other I mean, there's a lot of super racism, again, towards Native Americans in a variety of ways, because they are portrayed as being quite dumb. Like, at one point, Gary Cooper tricks them with a compass, and I'm like, this is the mid-1700s. They they know what compasses are.
1: Yeah. Everybody
0: knows what a compass is. Um, And, you know, these historical incidents they talk about— We could find examples of forts being massacred, I'm sure, but when you include no counterexamples and you don't include any examples of massacres carried out by settlers or frontier militia, which would be, I mean, they would just commit um, terrible crimes. I mean, um, and both sides would practice uh, scalping. In fact, scalping is largely popularized as a practice during wartime by settlers, by frontiers people. You, you get this really, really, really unbalanced, really... I mean, it's, it's racist. It's also inaccurate view of this whole period. If we want to talk about how historically inaccurate this movie is, historically, it's total gibberish, right? So this is ostensibly about Pontiac's War, which is the name given to the fighting along this area. What in U.S. history books, which is... This is a stupid name, but it's called the French and Indian War in U.S. history, which is like a dumb name anyway. But basically, it's the North American theater of the Seven Years' War. And the French normally held some kind of claim to this land, and they surrendered that claim to the British. Um, And, of course, the native people living there did not really understand it as such. They would have understood it. You know, they were, like, leasing the area to the French. They are allowing the French to trade in the area, something like that. So when the French sort of sell them out and say, oh, no, the British can occupy this land, you get uh, the British moving in, and almost immediately a conflict breaks out because the British person in charge of this area is Jeffrey Amherst. And I don't know if that name sounds familiar to you. He's the guy who had the idea of spreading uh, blankets with smallpox on them amongst people. It's like an act of biological warfare. Is put in charge of this whole area and basically a conflict breaks out as the fighting in the North American theater has died down. It sort of starts up again uh, while the war itself is still going on. So it's like a consecutive conflict, like the larger conflict is still going on. This theater dies down, the French pull out, and then the conflict starts again, uh, basically because the British show up and start pushing their weight around. And the native people, you know, they don't understand. Their understanding of the situation is not the French surrendered all this land. Their understanding is, well, the French were here. And we were okay with that. Now the British are here and we're not okay with that, right? So it's this very, it's basically a conflict based solely on the British showing up and trying to like boss everyone around. Um, One thing that they, that is in this movie is they mention that they don't allow guns to be sold, which is actually true because the British didn't want to sell weapons. But the French always sold weapons or traded weapons, which mostly would be used for hunting anyway. That part's, I guess, sort of historically accurate, but like you don't really get any of that in this movie. In this movie, the whole thing is just made up by this one guy as like an evil plot right he's selling weapons to the tribes and then he wants them to go to war as you said is some sort of convoluted plan to stop western expansion into this area
1: so Cecil B. DeMille was a really conservative guy in real life and so what he's done here is reconfigure American history into a patriotic pay to the Unconquerable American Spirit in 1947, which would be like the very beginning of the Cold War. So the whole point of this film. And this film was also apparently extremely popular at the time. Yeah, we've reconfigured American history to be the story of how Americans are, about uh, how American unconquerable and unbeatable and how Americans are always caring about individual liberty and freedom and are going to conquer the West and, you know, can't be defeated and all that uh, garbage. So, yeah, yeah, like you said, we've, in this very specific time period of American 1947 with the ultra-conservative Cecil B. DeMille, we've reconfigured American history to be an ode, you know, to that kind of spirit at the very beginning of the Cold War here.
0: Yeah, and we didn't even get to, I mean, so first it's historical gibberish. It's super-duper racist against Native Americans. It's also weirdly racist about slavery. And I don't know... Like it's it's this almost bizarre thing. They they in multiple points of the movie they refer to her character as being a slave. She's like sent, sentenced to indentured servitude as punishment for a crime. And then at multiple points they actually refer to her as a slave and they and they make reference to like slavery as a concept, but it's always in reference to like this white woman who's been sent to the colonies as a as like a penal like sentence. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's like we're making a movie, also we're gonna kind we're gonna talk about slavery. And it's the mid 1700s, so plantation slavery of African people is now in full swing, in in large scale. Right, slave ships are pulling up to the coast, and we're going to talk about slavery. And the movie is talking about how you know she wants to have her freedom, and slavery isn't slavery, uh, a yucky institution. But it's all in reference to like this white woman, which is like this bizarre. 19- I mean, like you said, 1940s. It's like that's counter to the American spirit, but not in reference to like actual slavery it's it's in reference to this white woman sentenced to indentured servitude yeah and again uh indentured servants were a thing and sometimes they could be mistreated you know and they were used as as prisoners of war or criminals could be sentenced to indentured servitude and oftentimes you know they might not outlive their own contracts and they could be bought and sold and and treated you know like slaves in in some kind of context but they were not slaves in the same way that the people, you know, transported from Africa and their descendants were slaves, right? So th- the movie, of course, makes no distinction of this whatsoever.
1: Yeah, it's pretty wild to tell a story about that, touches on the horrors of slavery that focuses exclusively on white people, like white people enslaving other white people. And the like black slaves is not even like, uh, I mean, there are a few like black characters and one of them uh, does seem to be a slave, but the film does not seem interested at all in, you know, the crushing slavery of African people and and Black people as, you know, a possible way to have an ode to individualism and personal liberty, right? It's only interested in that in regards to, I mean, that, I think, uh, displays the incredibly like blinkered viewpoint of the filmmakers and the fact that they use the story of a white woman being an indentured servant to tell a story about an ode to individualism and liberty and this, you know, the yearning for freedom without, without completely ignoring the far more brutal and horrifying, you know, enslavement of African people on American plantations.
0: Or even the enslavement or treatment uh enslaved like conditions of Native Americans, which would also be a thing. And I found it to be, even if we're just looking at it as a film, and if we were to just be like Martians watching this, I mean, it seemed kind of boring. I feel like there's not a lot, for ostensibly a movie about a war and about people, like he goes on a secret mission at one point to assassinate someone, but it just never feels exciting. There's just a lot of like talking and like plotting and like people standing around and like... It's almost like some kind of political... Um, you know what I mean? It's like it's not even like an exciting movie.
1: No, it's two and a half hours long, and it's extremely dull. It, uh, you know, I've seen a number of Cecil B. DeMille films, and he is most interesting when he is, like, indulging in some kind of, like, weird perversity and sort of, like, combining his right-wing moralizing with this, like, you know, tantalizing uh, hypocrisy around, like you know, sex and violence. And this film is, is, has none of that. So it's just very staid and very boring and very dull, you know, preaching and moralizing about the wonders of the American spirit. And, you know, I sometimes like Gary Cooper and I feel like in, in certain roles, I think he can do really well, but he also, you know, his, like when he would fall back on his standard movie star persona, there is sometimes like he's just like sleepwalking through these things. And this is kind of one of those movies where you have a lead performance from Cooper, which is just like really boring. And he's just seemingly putting in as little effort as possible. And I also like in general, like Paulette Goddard, but she has really nothing to do in this movie other than swoon over Gary Cooper and constantly be in need of rescue.
0: Yeah. The gender I mean, the gender aspect of this is pretty bad, too. She's basically under the constant threat of being raped by various people throughout the movie, which is not said real explicitly. But she is, I mean, it calls her a slave and Garth keeps trying to buy her and then he wants her to marry him. And then they keep making reference to what terrible things, you know, the Native Americans will do to her if they capture her. So it's like, yeah, she's she's floating throughout the movie. She keeps getting rescued over and over again. And then there's this, like, thread of her being raped by a variety of people that keeps popping up. So in summary, I'm not really sure why anyone would want to watch this movie other than as a historical artifact from 1947. Colonial American history can be very interesting, and if you make it accurate, I mean, like a movie about Pontiac's war, it, it was a very, it was a brutal conflict. Um, I've seen some historians refer to it as basically a race war because the, the imputus was... Uh, to push out all settlers and it almost worked it's one of the few conflicts that ended in i mean it basically ended in a tie the british government drew a line on a map and said settlers aren't allowed to go past this line you could make a very interesting movie about that right but that's that's not that's not this no just no
1: yeah this you know i had initially picked this movie because i thought it was about the revolutionary war and i thought You know, there are some movies about the Revolutionary War, but there aren't a lot that are very notable. They're very good, I guess. So I thought it might be interesting to look at one. And as I said before, I kind of do like Gary Cooper in certain movies. So that's what drew my interest to this initially. But yeah, then I discovered it's actually about an entirely separate conflict. And it jettisons any kind of actual... Not only historical accuracy, but like interesting drama in favor of just a uh, racist ode to American exceptionalism.
0: Yeah, this is the movie that when you make a documentary about how racist Hollywood used to be, you show clips from. This is like that kind of movie, which you kind of mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, pretty much. It's, it's, uh, there's, yeah, it's, it's really bad and it's really boring and it's just really, offensive and stupid it's there's really almost basically nothing that a person could recommend of this film it's just a complete snicker
0: now if you want to shift gears to something that is in fact really good so i guess that's a good 180 degree counterpoint to this movie would be the comic book nat turner uh written and drawn by professor kyle baker so nat turner is a it was a four issue comic series um ostensibly depicting the attempted slave uprising by the titular historical personage slash character nat turner and there's a number of extremely interesting things that um the author here is doing is this, this comic is, uh, as a counterpoint to Unconquered, extremely historically accurate to the point where he most of the text actually comes from primary source documents. It's almost like he's telling you a story, but it's also a historical document in a way. It's almost like a, a documentary in historical form, right? Because he uses actually a lot of primary source documents in the captions, in the quotations. And it shows you it tracks the uh, the voyage of slaves across the ocean, and it also shows them being captured in Africa. So they're captured. um, People are kidnapped or captured uh, in Africa by African slavers and then transported to the coast and sold to Europeans. And we see a great deal. You know, there's a lot of violence here, obviously. Um, throughout the story, they they throw a baby overboard at the beginning to feed to sharks, and he has a footnote explaining that sharks would follow the ships across the ocean um, to eat the bodies of people who fell overboard. And we see, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening here, so we see that the slaves are not uh, not allowed to read, right? And one of the things that distinguishes Nat Turner from a young age is his intelligence and his desire to learn how to read, right? And there's a clear connection between a slave uprising and the slaves learning how to read or communicate with each other. I mean, there's a lot of other interesting historical little stuff that he puts in here. Um, And he has, he has footnotes, like I said, so there's, we see the slaves are being forced to eat um, out of trough. Uh, We have them using um, drums to communicate uh, because they don't have an effective way of sending messages around. And then we get to the, the slave revolt itself which is extremely violent, right? Uh, We see them, they murder the the slaves once they've um, started their revolt, they fan out and we see them murder any number of uh, white children as their revolt grows. So there's a great deal of violence throughout. And like I said, it's a very historically accurate. It's almost done in like a documentary style. The coloring of it is the coloring of like an old photograph. So it's not black and white it's it's like a, a sepia-toned or something almost. It, it made me think of the coloring on, like,
1: old 1800s photographs. And, you know, I think, importantly, unlike the old right-wing hack Cecil B. DeMille, the acclaimed uh, cartoonist Kyle Baker, who has had a really long and interesting history of sort of dipping in and out of, like, mainstream big two comic books like he has a a acclaimed runs on like deadpool and plastic man and has done his own original like graphic novels and stuff so he's a really interesting guy in his own right as well like leading up to creating this comic book but unlike that the movie we watched this comic does not flinch from the horrors of slavery at all and you know doesn't try to like whitewash the history for some kind of ulterior message you know the message here is just about the horrors of slavery itself and it you know gives you all of the uncomfortable gory details that, yeah you know
0: it, it kind of takes you through i mean there's a lot of emotional like notes that you're hitting here because at the beginning you know you're horrified at how um the people are treated obviously and then the revolt starts and you're like yes like let's let's rise up like let's i'm like you're on board with this and then they're like oh we have to kill the baby now and you're like, "Ooh, I don't mm, no, that's not great. Uh we're killing a baby and this shows them actually decapitating like a 3-year-old. That's like that's like waving at them as they're uh marching down the or as they're like coming down the road. So the, yeah, there's a lot of violence and it is of course unrealistic to expect people you know not we're not trying to excuse the fact that they killed a baby, which is which is bad. Uh no no equivocation there but it would also be unrealistic to expect people who had been brutalized their whole life to all of a sudden display more humanity to uh you know the people who are ruling over them in that class than they themselves had ever seen the point being that it's an incredibly brutal system and the the book does not try and shy away from that at all yeah i mean the point i was
1: making was once you have like someone who's gone through the experience of feeding their own child to sharks as an act of mercy to prevent them from having to grow up in this brutal system like you know that violence is then like repaid against the owner you know the owner class in a way that you might be like well do they really need to kill the children but then it's like did they really need to capture them in africa and, and you know feed them to sharks and bring them over here to begin with you appreciate the desire for historical accuracy and that it doesn't flinch from that and doesn't try to make the uh, nat turner's revolt and nat turner himself into like an uncomplicated heroic figure because he himself had this like messianic complex and thought that he was i can't remember now like the son of god or like god or he saw himself as some kind of like like you mentioned he learned how to read and then from like reading the bible he saw himself as some kind of like holy prophet to like lead like a holy war so it doesn't like shy away from the fact that this guy you know had like delusions of grandeur and then also that their rebellion was you know just as brutal as the violence that was waged against them initially
0: right it would be easy to tell this story and try and have it be an uncomplicated Ode to people struggling for freedom, such as we saw in the movie Unconquered, right? If you were to just literally flip that script 180, uh, but that's not even what he's trying to go for. I mean, you get that in here. Obviously, you're, the sympathy of the reader is with the, the slaves, but it's a violent process all the way around. There's no there's no happy ending here. It even shows you at the end, um, and it, he provides a footnote for this, too, that they like skinned his body after he died, after Nat Turner died. So it's just unending. I mean, it's like I said, there's really no happy ending here. There's no silver lining. Um, it's just a brutal system. And a, a group of people try and revolt against it in a like almost an insurgency that doesn't last very long. And, of course, ends with violence. and has violence throughout. It's, it's a it's a grim story, but it's extremely well told. Like I said, he almost pre- presents it as close to like a historical document as you could get in a comic book, like in a documentary style.
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, he, like, set out to do something a little different than just retell this in graphic novel format. The choices that Kyle Baker made was to present this in more of a historical sense and to reflect all of the research that he had done. And as such, there's not a lot of, like, you know, like dialogue balloons and stuff like that. It it really does read more like, um, like you're saying, more in, like, a documentary style, which is not... Meant as a slight, either. I mean, it's a very quick read, and but it's a very, you know, a powerful read. It's definitely worth reading. I think not only as like a, you know, if you aren't into history or or even if you like don't care about history and the context of what's going on. I mean, it's just like a really uh, powerful read as a graphic novel as a comic book.
0: Yeah, and his use to not really use much for dialogue is interesting because there are balloons where they just have images and stuff inside of them to convey you what people are talking about. And part of that might be to skip over... I mean, at the beginning, obviously, they wouldn't be speak would be speaking English. I don't know if there was a desire to have not... A, like, you don't have to translate text or something. But, it, yeah, it's interesting because it's almost no dialogue. And the dialogue that does exist is mostly taken from primary source documents. So you could read this on just a technical level as like, oh, this is a very interesting and very well-made, like, comic book. And you also read it as something historical that happened about this and that's interesting and then just thematically you know the characters in it like what's happening in it is interesting so it's really just well made all around I mean you could use this might be a little violent for primary school I mean like a college class or something I mean you could look at this you're getting a lot of information like you said it's kind of a quick read but it feels very weighty
1: yeah and I like that even though there's like a focus on sort of like the documentary aspect and the, the facts, you know, like the historical reality, he still draws it in sort of like an expressionistic style. So it's not like you're getting the documentary viewpoint with like extremely like uh, detailed quote unquote, realistic visuals. It's still drawn in like in this, as you mentioned, a sepia tone, very rough, very expressionistic style, which even while, it's giving you these like documentary facts it still lends it this real sense of like power and sense of urgency
0: if it's not abundantly clear it's it's really good is what we're saying it's it's really good
1: yeah uh, as you said it's as good as that movie is bad it's like the yeah. perfect counterpoint to that terrible movie is this comic book which is a really great read on its own and which also kind of corrects the record of you know, the horrors found inside American history.
0: Right. It's the kind of thing, you know, it's if we want to um, spin this out a little bit just to talk about U.S. history, very rarely do, do stories get told that look at an unvarnished U.S. history. And I suppose that's because so much awfulness happens in U.S. history. But if you think of most media or most stories told historically, they're either hedging their bets in some kind of way. They're being very specific about what they're covering or what they're showing you, you know, very rarely does someone choose to tell a story where they just jump face first into history and just be like, this is all the awful stuff that happened. You know, Um, I'm thinking it makes me laugh kind of to think about the movie, the Patriot starring Mel Gibson, uh, which is a movie where Mel Gibson owns a plantation and he clarifies at some point that he pays all of his like laborers or something which, which yes. is just, which is again, like historical gibberish, but we're trying to, they're trying to like hedge their bets in some kind of weird way. And it's like, that's usually what you end up with when someone makes something about U.S. history is you either go the, the route that Cecil so be demilment where you just take all the bad things or not even the bad things, the bad things from the sides, you know, that you're not trying to show and just cut them out and pretend they didn't happen. Or, you know, Mel, Mel Gibson in The Patriot is you, you like sort of, have them kind of but then you hedge your bets and say oh actually it wasn't bad at all or it's here but it's we're going to pretend that it's not or something you know very rarely does someone just go face first into that and just say like this is how it was and you mentioned there's really no movies about the american revolutionary war i mean there's very few comparatively and you would think obviously how important it is we all know 1776 george washington all this stuff but i think that's wise because it's it's, it's if you really look at it from a unvarnished point of view it, it does get very complicated and i guess most people don't want to deal with the complication so it's easier to make movies about like world war ii or something where it, you you it's it's pretty easy to make an uncomplicated you know version of world war ii right because the nazis are evil but in the revolutionary war i mean the It's easy to make the British the bad guys, but...
1: I mean, there are movies about the American Revolution, but there aren't many that are really, like, noteworthy. Yeah, and I don't wonder if... if Which is strange. Right,
0: You would logically, you would think as patriotic as a country this is, and, like, the fact that we're all taught about how great the Constitution, all this stuff is... I mean, obviously, the Constitution didn't exist during the Revolutionary War, but, you know, July 4th, 1776, all this stuff. And yet, because of that complexity, I mean, you could argue, like, very plausibly that... um, enslaved people and Native Americans would have been better off had the colonies lost the Revolutionary War. I mean, there's a lot of things happening in that 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 are it's very difficult to show from like a proud, you know, rah-rah United States perspective. So I think that makes a lot of people shy away from it. Do you have a recommendation?
1: Yeah, there are two things that I'd kind of like to recommend that touch on both of the uh, topics that we mentioned. Um, They're both films. One of them is another Cecil B. DeMille film, and pretty much all of the films of his that I've seen have been very staid and very boring, except for this one, which was a pre-code drama called The Sign of the Cross, which is set in ancient Rome, and it involves sort of a lust triangle between a Roman prefect and the Empress of Rome and a young Christian woman. And as I mentioned before, sort of like the film, you know, indulges in both of Cecil B. DeMille's uh, weird obsessions, include which is like right wing moralizing, but also you know, unchecked uh, sexual perversity and violence. So in this film, you get, like, these brutal scenes of Christians being killed in the Colosseum, like, having their heads stepped on by elephants and, like, fed to crocodiles and, you know, getting uh, raped by gorillas. And there's, like, all these scenes of people being tortured and, like, all this brutality and violence. And this is also the film that famously has uh, the Empress of Rome bathing in a giant pool of milk. So it's, like... Uh, And as I mentioned before, the triangle between these characters is not so much a love triangle as a lust triangle. So like the whole plot is put into motion by like the unbridled lust of these three characters. So, and I think it finds something really thrilling and really interesting in combining these like two completely opposite like impulses. Um, It's a really fascinating, really interesting uh, film. And so far, I think, of the ones I've seen, it's the only Cecil B. DeMille film, which I think is actually really good. And I just because it's, you know, grappling with these, you know, opposite instincts in him as an artist. So that's The Sign of the Cross. And there's another film that I watched recently that is an Australian film called The Nightingale. And this film is set in Australia in Australia's colonial history. So it's not... America per se though of course there are a lot of similarities but this film is sort of like an unflinching brutal look at the horrors of British colonialism in Australia and the main character is an Irish convict who's basically enslaved to a British officer who and these like British officers like uh, gang rape her and like kill her whole family and so she sets out on revenge and then, of course, interacts with the Aborigines characters who are also being, like, brutalized and murdered in mass by the British colonial forces. So it's a film that really, in, like, a really uncomfortable way, does not, like, sh- it shows you, like, the full brutality of, like, the colonial occupation of Australia with, like, mass gang rapes and murders and genocide. And so it's kind of, like, you know, the full, more like warts and all perspective that we were contrasting something like the unconquered with. Um, But like I said, in Australia instead of America, but obviously there's a lot of similarities in general as far as the way that the uh, white people treated the people who are already living in the continent that they arrived at. With the extra wrinkle here is that you have like a layer of white people below the English but above the Aborigines in this case the Irish so that's uh, Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale, that one is on Hulu if you want to watch it, just came out last year
0: Well that's our show for this week Uh, you can catch us on the internet at armyofcrime.com I am on Twitter at army of crime dustin is at dustin4444 Uh, if you want to leave a five-star review on apple Podcasts, if you found our show interesting at all please feel free to do so we definitely appreciate any and all reviews kind words stay alive out there people should i do the the thing